0: Today, we talk about the election. We talk about the race for the presidency, the race for the Senate, what time the polls close, when we can expect the results, all of this and more on another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. All right, happy election day, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Refining Politics and Culture, where we explore what it looks like together to have vitally important political, cultural, and faith conversations, all with the ultimate goal of exuding truth and love, conviction, and grace in our discourse. I cannot believe we are finally here. It is indeed election day. So much about the future of our country and the direction that we choose to take as Americans rides on what takes place tonight. 100 million people have already voted. It's astounding. There's it's projected to be another 60 million today. So turnout is like we haven't seen in decades. This is going to be a monumental day in our nation's history. In my opinion, this is indeed uh, one of the most important elections in our nation's history. And it's certainly one of the most important in the last century. Definitely the most important in the modern era. Because both of these two positions on the right and on the left could not be more staunchly different as far as what they desire the future of the United States to look like. And so the good news is, while I have my own political persuasions and I have my own hopes and dreams for this evening and prayers that I am praying for the outcome of this election, at the end of the day, I know to the core of my being that I can go into this night with peace and joy, regardless of the outcome. Why? Because God's kingdom is advancing. Jesus is on his throne. He's reigned victorious over this earth. And as the scriptures say, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. That is what I believe. So I get to head into this evening confident and hopeful in the Lord, ultimately, at the end of the day, regardless of the outcome this evening. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to covering it in great detail. I want to give everybody a heads up. Tomorrow, I will be releasing another episode, and it'll be a bigger one. We're going to have an entire election breakdown tomorrow of the results. And so hopefully we have a lot of results to take in. Hopefully we have a final result to take in by tomorrow when I do that episode. You can be looking for that around uh, the late morning Pacific time. So that'll be uh, 1-ish Eastern, 10-ish Pacific. Uh, So make sure that you're tuning in there. I'm going to be recording that first thing in the morning tomorrow after this eventful evening. I also want to forward you to Saturday's episode and yesterday's episode. I've talked a lot over the past few days about this election, my different predictions, uh, what we can possibly expect, what turnout is looking like, what the polling numbers are starting to look like. So make sure that you check out those two episodes if you have not already. Again, that's Saturday's episode and that's Monday's episode. And you can get more detail regarding kind of where I see things playing out tonight. I'll reiterate some of it today, but what I want to do in this final episode before the election is I want to give some more context for some of the Senate races. I want to give a little bit of clarity around when these different uh, polls are to close this evening and when we can start to expect results. So let's jump right in. And I want to start there, actually. I want to go through when do these swing state polls close And when can we hopefully expect the results of the election in these different states? Now, I don't want to do all 50 states because we know how a lot of these different states will vote. Um, I want to stick to the 12 or so states where there's a real battle on the ground. So let's start at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We've got Florida and Georgia closing their polls. You've got a few other states, again, like I mentioned, but these are your only two states where there's a real competition that will determine a lot of the electoral college here. Florida, you've got the eastern precincts closing because, again, Florida is a state that splits between eastern time and central time. So the eastern precincts close at 7 p.m. eastern in Florida. And then you've got Georgia. Apparently, Georgia's a race. Uh, We have heard from the pollsters that Georgia is a race. It hasn't gone Democrat since 1992, but Biden has spent some time there. So it'll be interesting to see what plays out in Georgia. I do believe that Georgia will go to Trump, uh, but apparently there's a real race on the ground and the polling is within the margin of error. So we shall see how accurate those polls are and whether or not it is a true contest. Florida. Now, here's the thing with Florida. If Trump does not have Florida, ultimately, it is nearly impossible for him to win the election. A lot of Trump's chances in the Electoral College fall upon whether or not he can take Florida. I actually see Trump winning Florida. That is my prediction is that he wins Florida and Georgia. Uh, we'll see, though. That means a lot to his campaign. If he can't win Florida, again, it's very tough for him to win the election. It's not totally impossible, but almost. The eastern precincts in Florida close, and they are very fast at counting their votes. They count ballots as they come in, so hopefully we will know Florida shortly thereafter. Hopefully we should know Georgia by the end of the night as well. All right. Next, you've got two swing states closing at 7:30 p.m. You've got North Carolina and you've got Ohio. So 7:30 Eastern Time, North Carolina and Ohio. I predict both of these states will go to Donald Trump. Both of the polling uh, in the polling averages are right around the margin of error. I think the polls are off here. I really do believe that North Carolina and Ohio will probably go pretty solidly to Trump. Um, there's a lot that's unpredictable in these races. A lot having to do with turnout. Um, and some of the absente- absentee ballot requesting, but at the end of the day, I see both of those. If I had to offer prediction, would go to Trump, and Trump really needs them in his electoral map to secure a a, a victory handedly on election night. So let's now let's head to 8 p.m. where swing state wise, you've got the central precincts of Florida. Already talked about Florida. You've got Maine now. Maine, I do predict will go to Biden. But the interesting thing about Maine and Nebraska. And this is, there's a long backstory to this, so I won't get into all of it now. This is a time for, or a topic for another episode, but Maine and Nebraska both use an alternative method of distributing their electoral votes. It's called the congressional district method. They're the only two states in the union that use it. And it's essentially a, um, diverging from the traditional winner take all method of electoral vote allocation. So in these states, the state can go a certain way, but then they have districts that can choose to go a different way. So for example, in Maine, I actually predict tonight That Maine will go blue for Biden, but Maine 2, a district in Maine, will actually go to Trump. Again, if I had to offer a prediction, that's the way I would see it going. There's a lot up in the air with it, though, so we will see. You've also got in this time slot, 8 p.m. Eastern, states like Michigan. The Eastern precincts in Michigan reporting. I think Michigan will go to Trump. I think there's enough of an industrial Midwest base there that will go to Trump that'll hold on to from 2016, even as some of the white suburban voters have left. I, I think uh you're you're gonna see Michigan be a very helpful tool in Donald Trump's tool belt tonight electorally. Now again. This is just a prediction. I know I keep reiterating that, but it's important to recognize that there's so much up in the air about this election, and anybody that tells you they know for sure, I would take that with a grain of salt. You've got New Hampshire, which Trump believes is a battleground state. I don't see a path forward for Trump in New Hampshire. You've heard him talk about it a bit, but I I think that's more of lip service. I don't really see a way in which Trump wins New Hampshire tonight. You've got, also in this mix, Texas. Now, here's the thing about Texas. Texas really shouldn't be a battleground state, but with so many of the intricate nuances of this race, like their high, high, high record level uh, early voting turnout, it's it's a bit unpredictable. So you've had 9.7 million people already vote in Texas before Election Day. The entire, entire election vote total in 2016 was 9 million votes. So... It's unpredictable because we haven't seen this level of turnout. It's very much a young voter turnout. You've got a lot of suburban turnout. You've also got a lot of minorities turning out. And with the Hispanic move to Trump, it could make a big difference there as well. I do see Trump going or er, in winning Texas. I think that if Texas really was a battleground state, like a lot of the polls have told us, you would have seen Biden and Trump campaign on the ground more there. We will see how it plays out, but I do, if I had to predict, would say that Trump wins Texas. You've also, finally, the last swing state in this 8 p.m. Eastern time slot, have Pennsylvania. Now, because of the fact that Pennsylvania didn't start counting ballots, mail-in ballots, until 7 a.m. this morning, plus the fact that the court ruled that they didn't have to have postmarked ballots and the, the massive amount of absentee ballots in the state, Pennsylvania is a total mess. And I mentioned this in my episode this uh, yesterday and Saturday, if We have to wait for Pennsylvania. We will likely not know the results of this election until the end of the week. Plus, if this election really does come down to Pennsylvania, it is highly likely that it will be challenged in the courts. So I'm just praying that we do not end up having to wait for Pennsylvania. I pray that we can know the results without Pennsylvania, that it doesn't all fall on that state. In my election prediction, we would be able to know... The results without Pennsylvania, I'll get to that in a second, uh, but we will see there. So that's the last swing state in that 8 p.m. Eastern time slot. Next, you've got 9 p.m. Eastern, where you have states like Arizona. I do predict Arizona will go to Trump, but this is definitely a battleground state that Trump is really hoping for and relying upon. You've got the central precincts of Michigan. I already talked about Michigan there. You've got Minnesota. Now, Trump and Biden both see a shot at Minnesota. I see Minnesota probably going more to Biden than Trump. Trump did not win it in 2016. He was only 40,000 votes away, but I really don't see a path to victory here as strongly for Trump in Minnesota like I do in a state like Michigan, for example. So it will certainly be close. It's just very hard to tell, and I see the path to victory there for Biden looking a little bit more like Hillary's in 2016. Finally, in this 9 p.m. time slot, you've got Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I'm a little nervous about because I don't think we'll know the results with the massive influx of absentee ballots and some of a slower voting count process in Wisconsin. I don't believe that we'll know the results of Wisconsin by the end of the night. So I hope that's not a state we have to wait on as well. I see Wisconsin probably going to Biden more than Trump here. In fact, if I had to go that sort of upper industrial Midwest, the Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, I would say that. Michigan most strongly going to Trump. I'd say Minnesota would be the second most strong going to Trump, and then Wisconsin would be the third. So that's the block of swing states that close at 9 p.m. Eastern. Now let's head to 10 p.m. Eastern, where you have Iowa and Nevada. Iowa and Nevada are two states uh, that are technically considered swing states, but I believe that they are more in the strongly lean one direction. Iowa, I think, strongly leans for Trump. Nevada, I think, strongly leans for Biden. It would take a total polling miss in both of those states for either Biden to win Iowa or Trump to win Nevada. We will see what takes place there, but if I had to offer a formal prediction, I'd say that Iowa goes to Trump, Nevada goes to Biden, and I think we will know both of the results of those two elections enough to call it by the end of election night. So that's the overview of when these different polling places close in these various swing states. If you had to add up all of my predictions there, and they are just predictions because like I mentioned, this race is totally all over the place. In order for Trump to win, it'd have to be the biggest polling failure in modern polling history. Now, I believe the industry of polling is deeply broken, and I think 2016 was just the beginning of it. So I do see Trump winning this election in the electoral college. I don't see a path form in the popular vote, but all he needs is the electoral college. If you were to add up all of my predictions there, you would hit 296 for Trump and 242 for Biden. So we will see. I'm looking forward to heading back uh, to this map tomorrow and seeing where I was right, where I was wrong, and looking forward to going over that with all of you. Now what I want to do is shift gears, and I want to talk a bit about the race for control of the Senate. And arguably, the Senate is as important as the executive branch in this coming election. Let's say that Trump wins the presidency, but the Republicans lose the Senate. You essentially have four years of gridlock, and you've got a massive partisan battle between the legislative and the executive branch. Let's say you have Biden win the presidency, and the Democrats keep the Senate. Then you've got a situation in which the Democrats are able to basically take nothing off the table, and it's a radical four years of very country transformative action, I would argue significantly for the worse. Let's say that it's Biden wins and the Republicans keep control of the Senate. Same deal. You've got pretty much stalemate. And then let's say the Republicans keep the Senate and Donald Trump wins the presidency. Then you go back to what we've had over the last two years, where the House stays in Democrat hands, the Senate goes Republican, and Trump stays in the White House. That's essentially a continuation of what we've had the last two years since the 2018 midterm. So. The Senate race is very, very important. The Republicans hold a narrow majority at the moment. It's 53-47 in the 100-seat Senate. And there are 10 Senate races that I want all of us to be looking out for tonight that will most significantly determine whether or not the Senate stays in Republican hands or turns over to Democrats. So... It's helpful, too, if you have a pen or a pencil or anything like this, or you can just use your memory, but try to remember these and be able to reference them so that when you're watching the TV tonight and seeing the results come in, you can go back and see, oh, these were those 10 that he was talking about that are fairly important and significant for the overall outlook of the Senate. First, you have Senator Lindsey Graham, the Republican senator from South Carolina, versus the challenger, Jamie Harrison. Now, I think that this race will go to Lindsey. I don't see a way in which Jamie wins, But at the same time, Jamie has raised a killing. The Democratic Party has poured in money nationally for this South Carolina Senate race, largely because Lindsey Graham is the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, so he has a strong leadership role in the Senate, and the Democrats would love to do anything they can to try to chip away at that uh, authority there in the Senate. Second, you've got the Republican Senator Susan Collins versus the challenger Sarah Gideon, the Democrat in Maine. This is a very moderate-slash-left-leaning state. So Susan Collins, while she's a Republican, she's really a Republican in name only. She's very moderate. She actually didn't even vote for Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation, which was pretty wild. You could tell she was really trying to appeal to her constituents in Maine that are more left-leaning in nature. I think Susan will probably keep this seat. I don't see Sarah beating her. We will see. Next, you've got Cory Gardner, the Republican in Colorado, versus John Hickenlooper, the challenger. He's the Democrat. If I had to say one way or another, I would say that this would probably be the most likely of the Republican currently held Senate seats that would actually flip to Democrats. I I think that John Hickenlooper's chances of this race, winning this race, are probably stronger than Cory Gardner's at the moment. But there's a lot that could play out on election night that surprises people there. So I'll leave that there. That's the third race. The fourth is Senator Martha McSally in Arizona. She's the Republican, the incumbent, versus the challenger, Mark Kelly. He's a former astronaut, he's the Democrat. I the the a lot of the pollsters were saying that this would definitely go to Mark and just a month ago he was surging in the polls and he had a lot bigger chance that gap has really narrowed in the past few weeks to the point where I actually see Martha McSally winning this race this is one that the Republicans are trying hardest to hold on to the national Republican party has poured a ton of money into this race and I do see her holding on to the seat against Mark Kelly especially if Arizona ends up going to Trump in the presidential race so that's Arizona. Now let's head to Alabama. In Alabama, you've got the incumbent, Senator Doug Jones. He's a Democrat running against Tommy Tuberville, the challenger, who's a Republican. Tommy Tuberville is the former Auburn football head coach. Doug Jones is the Democratic incumbent in the heavily Republican Alabama, only because in 2018, the guy he was competing against, his name was Roy Moore, who was just an awful candidate. So you even saw like a lot of right-leaning moderates decide to vote for Doug Jones, the Democrat, instead of Roy Moore, because they didn't trust Roy Moore with that seat. Now you have Tommy who a lot more people trust. I think he'll run away with this race. I don't think it'll be close. So that's a flipped seat back to the Republicans that was held by the Democrats the last two years. All right, the sixth race to keep an eye out for is in North Carolina. It's the Republican incumbent Tom Tillis versus Cal Cunningham, who's challenging him for that seat, trying to flip it blue. I do not see this happening, especially because it was just discovered in the last month that Cal Cunningham is actually having an affair, which is a total mess right now. Plus, though the polling's within the margin of error, uh, from what I've heard on the ground, The North Carolinians seem to trust Tom Tillis more with this seat. I'd imagine that stays in Republican hands. Could be wrong, but we'll see. Number seven, we've got David Perdue in Georgia versus John Ossoff. John Ossoff is a radical. He is very left-leaning in Georgia. David Perdue is uh, the incumbent there currently. Uh, I see David winning this race. I know that in the chaos of Georgia and with a lot of the pollsters saying it's sort of all over the place and unpredictable, they've kind of thrown this Senate race in there as well, but I, I, I see David holding on to this seat. In our number eight race, we've got Senator Joni Ertz in Iowa versus Teresa Greenfield, the challenger, who's a Democrat. So it's currently held by the Republicans, Joni Ertz, and Teresa Greenfield is challenging for her seat. I do not see Teresa even standing a chance. I think Joni will win this race very handily. Number nine, you've got Senator John Cornyn in Texas versus Democrat M.J. Hager. I see the Republican Senator John Cornyn holding on to the seat, but it's definitely one to look out for, especially with all the nuances in this year's Texas turnout. The final Senate race I wanna cover is the Democratic Senator, the incumbent, Gary Peters in Michigan versus the Republican challenger, John James. Now, quick side note I think John James is one of the most upstanding, respectable people that's risen to any sort of prominence in the political sphere in years. He is someone who is an expert in policy, also very upstanding in character. I hope he wins the seat. He would be the second current African-American conservative senator in the United States, him and Tim Scott, if John James were to win. Originally, it was thought that Gary Peters, the incumbent, would sort of run away with this race, but as time has gone on, we've seen that John James is inching closer and closer. The polling right now is basically neck and neck. I actually predict that John could win this seat, especially if Michigan goes to Trump. So... Keeping an eye on these 10 Senate races that's South Carolina, Maine, Colorado, Arizona, Alabama, North Carolina, Georgia, Iowa, Texas, and Michigan. That was a lot of details. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to give you all that so you can kind of have an understanding of what we're really looking out for tonight. What are some of the races in some of these different battleground states that will determine the election? When can we expect results? What would have to happen in order for us to get the results tonight versus having to wait till the end of the week. Ultimately, and I'll finish the episode with this, I am praying for God's will to be done and I'm praying for peace after the election, regardless of the results. Quick pause here. It's very heartbreaking to watch in some of these major cities, these democratic metropolitan areas, these business owners board up their stores in anticipation for a potential violence outbreak if the election doesn't go the way in which these rioters and looters hope it goes. So something I find really interesting If you're a Democrat in one of these major cities and you are boarding up your stores because you are worried about your own side destroying your stores if the election doesn't go the way that they want, don't you think it's time to reconsider your political affiliation? I find it so interesting to me that people continue to elect leaders in these major Democratic metropolitan areas that do not care for their safety. They do not care for peace or for order. They care more about appeasing the woke mob and allowing their cities to be destroyed in the process. And I hope that that's a big wake-up call for people. I hope that tomorrow we don't even need to have that conversation. I hope that peace breaks out. I hope that people are overwhelmed by some common sense and by the love of the Lord that turns their heart away from violence and towards handling their emotions in a healthy way and their frustrations in a healthy way. That is my prayer, that we don't even need to have this conversation. But at the end of the day, when you see a lot of people promising violence if the results don't go the way that they want, I think it's Time for our country to experience a real wake-up call of saying, hey, life's not always going to go the way you want. Violence is not an answer. It helps no one to break into a store and steal Nikes or a TV if the election results don't go the way you want. It's not responsible, and we certainly need to be praying against any of that this week, regardless of the election results. Finally, I want to quote this verse. This is 2 Chronicles 7.14. If you spend any time in church or as a believer in Christ, you've probably heard this verse before, especially around election seasons or when we're praying for our country to repent and experience righteousness. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, this is God speaking, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. I pray that if you voted already, that you voted based upon God's values and priorities, what God determines is righteousness and truth, not what man or what culture determines as righteousness and truth. And I pray that if you have yet to vote, if you're going to vote this afternoon or this uh, early evening, that we would keep that in mind, that we would be people that seek his righteousness for our land, that we would turn from our wicked ways, we would cast our gaze upon him, we would desire for the policies of our land to look more like the guiding principles that are found in scripture, that the policies that we promote would look more like what God values, not what culture values. There's so much of a difference, especially today, in what culture values and what they believe is truth versus what God has clearly determined truth and righteousness. And I pray that tonight the results of the election look a whole lot more like what God values than what culture values. I'm going to leave this episode there. I cannot wait to cover the results in depth tomorrow. Make sure you tune in late morning Pacific time, early afternoon, Eastern time. It has been such a blessing and an honor to be able to talk to you all today. Looking forward to tonight. If you have uh, not yet subscribed to the show, make sure you do that on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you prefer to listen to podcasts. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and family and community. If you have not yet left a positive review, you can do that on Apple as well. That helps grow the show tremendously with the Apple algorithm algorithm. Also, if you'd like to donate to the show, if you'd feel led to do that, you can do that on my website at refiningpoliticsandculture.com. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your Tuesday and great election night tonight, wherever you are watching the results come in. This has been another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert.